Good, so we're discussing issues which come up on Yom Kippur. The that's the uh, the role of the rub when it comes to Yom Kippur is probably the most pressing question which comes out with the various questions that have to do with people who are ill and uh, want to know if they're obligated to fast if they uh, should fast in Yom Kippur and one of the major changes which is, is fascinating from the uh, perspective of Rob is, is the attitude the, the very significant attitudinal change in the questions to me it would seem that uh, a Rav the when I was of the of previous Doros, when I was a kid, and even when I began the Rabbanus, so people was not a very frequent question about whether one can eat a Yom Kippur or not. It was Lailo Das that everyone would eat a Yom Kippur. And uh, much of the job of a Rav was, and I still had Jews who were, who were uh, survivors. And not particularly well lettered because their chinuch was cut short, and very often the the job of the rab was to prevail upon a person who was really older and weaker to eat a yom kippur. As we know, if a person is in a sakonis nefoshes situation, so then the mitzvah is to eat a yom kippur. So I have even to this day, I have a woman comes from a very strong chesidish background and until two or three years ago now she's not so clear but I had to call her Eriam Kippur and uh, prevail upon her that her mitzvah is Tidium Kippur so that uh, still happens but to a much rarer degree one of the uh, changes is that with the Ikhshir uh, Dara with the greater uh, the success we have in teaching so everybody's people know and many people know about the concept of Shi'ur and misunderstand it entirely we'll discuss that and uh, many many more time many more questions come up about whether there is there Mechuyiv the degree of comfort with eating in Kippur is of a different order now. Whereas the degree of the comfort, there was absolutely no comfort. Eating in Kippur was something that oil of death couldn't be. In fact, the Rav, in his uh, later years, there's rumored, I don't know if it's true or not, but it was uh, rumored that he would go and intervene before Yom Kippur. And if you look at the Chubas of Waldenberg, he says, I heard the Chacham Echad. In the, in the Gola goes on intervenes before Yom Kippur and, and Rav Aldenberg is critical of it it isn't not by name but you think it's uh... and the Rav would, would say this is all part of it again I know, I'm not sure if it's a true story now, but in, in the story it was told that the Rav would say that he understands Alpidin he's not mechuyib to go and intervene but emotionally he isn't able to not uh, be fasting Yom Kippur so that uh, depth of emotion is something that, uh, with the 
with the success that we have in teaching and so the, the degree of comfort the you read the, in the emotional connection to the fast has um, that you read has been increased so again you can figure out whether uh, whether it's the G'nai L'Shvach but sometimes I'm very surprised at the at the uh, the younger people because they've learned how lot very well they have um, their their sense their, the questions that come and their sense of um, access to be able to eat in Yom Kippur sometimes surprises me only again it's part of the increased education but it's uh, disappointing sometimes also in the in the and it could also be the fear that people that people are much more are much better educated as to what the uh, the fears of a person um, abuses his body in an inappropriate way, but that's uh, from from a perspective of uh, of Rabbanus, just to see a change in the in the generations and to see how education um, what the impact of it is. But as we said before, the avoda of very much before him kippur, one of the great forms of avoda. Avodah the Rav is to focus his balabatim and the davening, and obviously on tshuva, and be al is to discuss all these things. And a lot of shilas come up before him kippur, momnistic shilas we'll have to know. But let's focus on the fasting, because that's a shilas Rabbanim have. And it comes up in different uh, different ways. There is a Rabbanim was once asked the question, whether a person who uh, expected to faint over the course of Yom Kippur was able to take a uh, suppository in order to prevent fainting Yom Kippur. So Rav Moshe's answer is a very instructive answer. First he said, you have no chiyu. Fainting is, a person is sure they're going to faint, so that is a chayla masukin, and one's not obligated to do any kind of machinations around um, the chayla. Is a sakon involved? However, you value it when the sakon happens, or you value it's, that it's that it's omed, or you or you evaluate that certain things have to happen before the sakon is in place. But when it follows the din, and whenever the sakon is present, so then one is um, one's good to deep. Um, then he raises the question: Hey, that one doesn't the suppository is not necessary so maybe it comes in the category of the Easter of taking before so the person allowed to eat was the head there for him to be over the Easter of before he points out clearly that it's not a violation of eating right the person God forbid has some kind of tube not a violation of eating um, so to get energy through some other source some other approach not, not a violation of eating that's very clear and it's very clear then what isn't obligated. But then his response to the question of whether it's refuah, which is also said then it probably not. There would not be a violation of refuah and unyamtif. Why is that? He said, well, first of all, the person is in the category of a chayla that for whom refuah is mother. 
Shul is is also for a bori b'mechush ba'alma. But this person is has a his response to fasting is not in the, in the normal range. His response to fasting is that he that he uh, has a kind of a, a severe result. So as a result, then he says, and also the emotional distress that he'll be under by not fasting, that also makes him into a chayla. Right? The chayla l'chayla means that a, a chayla is anybody, a chayla for the purpose of being able to take medication on Shabbos, a chayla v'chol gufoy, it means the person, as the Rosh Hashanah says, is not fully functional. So what does it matter whether he's not fully functional because one's in pain, or when it's not fully functional because one's ruminating and aggravated and upset and they're depressed because they have they can't fast in Yom Kippur. So it's an interesting tshuva from many many perspectives. And the um, there's a tshuva that the Chassam Soifer uh, records where there was a an epidemic in town. And the question that was posed to Chassam Soifer is that anybody who leaves their home, is a, they, the way they understood the science, that was at risk of um, contracting that infection, that, uh, that machala. So when stayed home, one was safe. But when outside, God forbid, one can get uh, the machala. And if one got that particular machala and one was fasting, so then there was a Sakonis Nefashis. When got that machlin, and when it was well hydrated, well uh, fed, so then they were not at risk of. Uh, then, then it, even if they contracted the machla, they would do okay. So that was the question that was posed to the Chassam Soifer. So the Chassam Soifer uh, responds by saying that, uh, that then they, there's no reason for them to go outside. It's true that if they'd go outside, then it would be if for some reason somebody walks into the room and psh, opens up all the windows all of a sudden. So then, they, since they are at risk of getting an infection, which apparently was very, very clear and present, and they would, um, then if they're fasting, they would be besakona, so then they'd be allowed to eat because there was the fear, the probability of contracting the infection was so high. But the Chassam Sefer says, but why are they going outside? There's not a reason. In other words, the Chassam Sefer is clearly expressing something which, having the latest form as well, which should be a double portion, that if by going to shul, a person might put themselves in a situation where they would need to break the fast and they shouldn't go to shul. That becomes often an important part of the chinuch that a rabbi has to provide to the, the shoyel, the shoyelas, that it's not oil al das. The Shoel uh, Shoel is they're not going to hear uh, Ne'ilan, they're called Nidre, they're not going to be by Musaf. So, very often the Rub has to explain to the person asking that if by staying in bed in an air conditioned place, they reduce, reduce the risk of having to eat, or even reduce the risk of, even reduce how much they'll have to eat, then they have to stay at home and the rest is they, that's an important part of the chinuch that the Rav has to provide that tefillah in Kippur is leila. However, the din of fasting, that's a din day raisa. And if one comes through, if one comes through the day 
and one has successfully fasted the entire day and kept the mitzvah day raisa and hasn't violated the Easter fast, the Easter reading, and the cost of that mitzvah was staying home all day, then that was the right calculus. And in fact, it goes a step further. If a woman says, by taking care of all, all of her children, there's no way that she'll be able to take care of her children and then make it through the fast. No, so we have to get the woman help. If the only help available was the guy with her husband, and the husband has to stay home and miss davening, no, so the husband has to stay home to miss davening in order that his wife will have the mitzvah day rice of fasting. So that's the, uh, to organize the obligations, the human, that's uh, that's very, very important. And to explain that, that's uh, very important. The um, And then part of the issue of shiurim has to be also, we have to work very hard to explain that. There are many people who come into the yomtiv thinking that if they're, that shiurim is like a dinner of some sort. So it's very important to explain, both in shiurim and when questions come up, that in order to be able to eat on Yom Kippur with Shurim. Shurim means that when it's eating less than a kesevis, less than a picture like a grape or a sugar cube of some sort. And uh, we start with a chasam seif Shurim every nine minutes. And if a person is a chaylem masukan, if they're uh, in a life-threatening situation, and the doctor says that once every nine minutes won't, doesn't cut it, Right, uh, doctor. We have sure of how much a person needs to will need to eat or drink of the course. We ha- we know what a normal intake is. So if by having um, less than a shot glass, less than a grape, one every nine minutes, they'll be able to uh, get through the, the time. Even if it means that they'll miss large chunks of davening. So. Then that's the then that is the route that we go because the Mishnah says that when we have to when there is when a person is besakonis nefashas and the person has to eat in Yom Kippur so then there's a then the, then the Mishnah says we violate the din in the least possible fashion and then the Mishnah is mechadish to us that violating the same din bepachis mikashir is of a less is less Strict is a, then violating the din with the shear which would have ancient to it. In other words, there's a chiddush over here that the, the that it, that the degree of the the severity of the of the ma'isa is can be measured by the einish. So if the einish is going to be some einish b'dishmai because it's chazi shear, so that's less of a chomer din. Less of a chomer isur than if one violates it in a way which, in another situation, would be chayiv malku, would be chayiv chayiv misa. This person is mutter for them to eat, but if they would violate the din in a situation where it's oser, then it would be they'd be chayiv einshin. So einshin becomes a metric of the severity of the misa, and then halach is one has to reduce the severity of the misa. Okay, so this people it's a sophisticated idea. Hard for people to appreciate that it's that chazi shir osim So it has to often explain that to people that the only time when a person is eligible for a uh, for, for the for the for the 
event of eating pachs mikashir is when they are achaylishish basakana. But if they're not achaylishish basakana, so then eating pachs mikashir is also. That's a very important idea to get out there. Because over time, people get the impression, okay, so maybe if I'm terribly, terribly, terribly uncomfortable, a person can be in pain, a person can be in terrible pain. But the doctor says, but this pain is not dangerous. Right? A person can have a, a, a very, very difficult, and it's hard, it's a very difficult sack for a rub to give. A person can be extremely nervous that uh, they're going to be terribly ill. But the doctor says, there's no, there's no medical basis that nervousness. So they're very, they go into the end of being very, very nervous. It's very hard sock to deliver. The doctor says they're, very, they're paranoid. They're, they're hypochondriacs, but uh, they're going to be fine. They're going to be, there is no medical basis. It's very difficult. So they'll say, Rabbi, let me do the shurim. They're not candidates for the shurim. When it has to be a to be a candidate for the shurim. And then, then we're very, very careful to make sure that we're not being overly machmer in the shurim. And if by having the shiurim, if by using the chasam service nine minutes, the chasam service is between two and nine minutes. But he want, but but he goes to the chumer both ways. So then, if every nine minutes doesn't cut it, the doctor says it's not enough hydration. So then we discuss doing every seven minutes. That's a delta rebbe's approach. And if the doctor says that's also enough, then rochashulchan says every six minutes. That's not enough. Then the rishkochanan says every four minutes. So we. See, what has to be done? We have all the way from nine to two minutes. The doctor will say, well, ask the doctor, how much hydro, how much do you have to drink? So the doctor will say, well, average, average fluids, I think it's 60 ounces a day or something. Okay? And if it's absorbed in a very slow way over the course of the day, usually the doctors are fine with that. Question comes up, if, if, what's the din if a person, is it better to start shiurim at nine o'clock in the morning uh, or which is again, shurim is not is not an easy thing. And has to always sympathize with the shoel shoelas when the doing shurim. It's very very hard to stay with the clock and it's hard class. And uh, so the question is, what's what is preferred to um, do shurim in the course of several hours, or to bite the bullet and have a uh, a large uh, cup of uh, water of drink. I have uh, a large piece of chocolate or something. That's one of the eights of Dr. Of, of Rabbanim, that a uh, person is having trouble having a pochus mikishir of chocolate because it's uh, jam-packed with uh, energy. So, or, or to use the, uh, the power rates and the getter rates, whatever, so the, so the post can point that, or Mershah points that in one of his chubas, and Rishlom Zalman more explicitly in other shuvah. He says that if the person wakes up in the morning and there is a possibility that they'll be able to fast the entire day. Possibility. So then they should not do shurim in the morning. They should wait. And if, God forbid, something happens and they have to break their fast, and they break their fast on a full shot glass of... of, of uh, of caloric fluid. But if there's no question that they will have to drink something, the doctor says, no way, this person cannot go the entire day without drinking. So then it's better to do the shira, even though it'll take over several hours. But if there's a possibility that they will not have to break the fast, 
So then it's better to hold off as long as one can and have a large amount let it be mutter. The cholim is sukkah is mutter. So we don't we didn't go for the preference of a kal kal Okay, but that's not the din. So that's uh, another important idea to keep in mind. Another important idea which we're have to keep in mind is that the question often comes up that a person is on medication. So, and they have to take the medication every single day. So, Rav Moshe writes that the Nushachters mentioned this many, many times that uh, swallowing a pill is a nothing. But swallowing the pill is a it's not, a, it's not food, it's not oichel, However, if one cannot swallow the pill without some liquid, so then the um, so then we would first try to advise people to see whether if it's a if it's a medication which they take once a day, can we reconfigure when they take the medication? It's true in the ideal sense. The doctor said this medication ideally should be taken first thing in the morning, first few hours a day. Okay, but what happens if for one defined period of time a person breaks the code, he breaks the, uh, the schedule? Is that going to do anything? Is the person suffering anyway? Obviously the doctor says, yeah, it'll still be a big, be a big problem. You won't, be, you won't be protected for several hours. That the half-life of the medication is such, then you have to follow within the doctor. But if the doctor says, you Taking off a day is not going to matter. Does it take off entirely? Delaying in one day is not going to matter. Okay. Or it could be that we could do it in a gradual uh, form. In other words, a person has to take medication and say once a day. So now they take it first thing in the morning. So can we, over the course of the next three weeks, slowly step it up and bring it up that they'll start now? This week will be uh, 8 3 in the morning. Next will be 9 o'clock in the morning. Next will be 10 o'clock in the morning. Build it up over the course of some weeks until they're taking the medication by Shkia time. So then they take one dose before Shkia, before Kol Nidre, and one dose after Tzais, after, um, after Nihilo. So that's something that we, we could try to do. So again, the, the point that we're making is that if a person is on a medical protocol taking medication on a set time, so... We would try to. If, if we would, if it's a, we, we would try to have the person not take. If he doesn't have to take it, if the doctor says one day won't be a problem, okay, don't take it. The doctor says that one day is a problem. Can we can we bring it down to once before she and once after says? The doctor says no. It has to be So then we would see if we can take it uh, without any without any. Uh, Water, and if it cannot be taken that water is because it's too large, it's too difficult, the person swallows it, chokes on it. So, then one suggestion is to make the water shalakadarka, in other words, to have to put a little bit of mouthwash in the water. So, the water doesn't have to be vile, the water doesn't have to, does not have to be something that will leave an aftertaste the rest of the day for carrot, it should be something that's just not a normal way to eat it. You wouldn't normally drink this water. You would get different uh, different cup of water. That's called the shinoi, which was allowed to employ. So the uh, then there's an interesting tshuva, a series of tshuvas. We all know there's a famous event 
I've been surrounded by a lot of stories when a, an epidemic hit Vilna, I think it was Vilna, and the uh, and the Yisrael Salanter is often uh, quoted as saying, is it also um, um, it's also not a not a confirmed uh, event or story. We're not sure that those who question this would ever happen. So Yisrael Salanter was of the understanding that everybody was uh, was uh, poised to be to get the epidemic, and uh, inside outside didn't matter. And if they got the epidemic, they got the illness. So then, whether they'd be successful in fending off the illness depended on whether they'd be fully hydrated and fully uh, fully fed. So. So Rishol Salanter allegedly said that everybody should eat. This and Kippur's one time everyone should eat. And and the 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 dying in town apparently was the dying in Vilna was apparently against Rishol Salanter, and said that he didn't think the Sakana was present enough. No one had contracted the illness that would warrant um, being makele on being makele on Yom Kippur. So that was the so this uh, this machlekes comes up every so often in the tshuvas. Rabbi Sturmach has a tshuva where a person is pregnant and took a flight and landed before Yom Kippur, and the person was of the impression. That she was so exhausted, it wasn't a regular pregnancy, and she was very, very exhausted. And if she would, she landed every kipper, and now if she would uh, not eat for a day, so she was had the uh, the traveling, then the not eating well or properly, and then the uh, and then now she's going to abuse her body again by not eating. So then. The, either they felt, or the, the parents and the doctors felt that that would be uh, that would be uh, dangerous for the pregnancy. So Rabbi Shishtermach had this and he said he, he does not think it's a mutter for this woman to eat on Yom Kippur because it's too speculative that the woman stay in bed, let her, her rest let's see what happens let's see if she gets into trouble but he didn't think that because she was in a situation whereby if she would um, that whereby if she would get ill or if she if, if she if, if she had more exhausted she thought it could challenge the pregnancy he didn't think that rose to the bar of and he said that he thinks is the machlek between the Vilna Goyen and the Yisrael that this person was in a situation where it's possible that they will get ill. And if they get ill, then uh, they haven't, then not eating will endanger to some extent. So Moshe Sturmach had the opinion that we Paskin like the, uh, the, the Vilna dying against Risosalanter. Moshe, when he discusses this tshuva, so he's of the opinion that we follow Risosalanter. And Rosha Weiss writes that we don't think that we have enough information to pass like, like either one. Is it the story? We don't know. It's not a tshuva. We don't know the mahalach machshav. We don't know the how 
the Rabbi Yisrael Salanter or how the Vilna, the Vilna Redain uh, figured out their positions. We don't even know if the, how accurate the story is. He said, you can't, uh, you can't paskin based on a story. So he says, against this, you have to just start all over again and figure out whether this situation would warrant uh, breaking one's fast. One of the most common questions that come up nowadays is the question of a woman who's pregnant. And uh, there's an interesting history to that. Shulchan Aruch says very clearly that a mu'uberes is mashlima. Mu'uberes completes the fast. And mu'uberes and amenekes both uh, complete the fast in Yom Kippur. And kachim midari daris that uh, people fasted in Yom Kippur. Baruch Hashem, they did well. And um, the question was deemed not to be even uh, was not entertained that much. Ubrais, Umeinikais, Misanais, Umashlimus Bay, they complete the fast. Okay. Many, it goes back probably about 20, 25 years ago that uh, the author, we now was the author of the Pnei Baruch. The Pnei Baruch is the, is the safer which our school translated into English on Inyani Avelis. The Pnei Baruch really has two volumes. The first volume of Pnei Baruch is on the halachas of Aninus. And there he has a letter that Rishon Mazaman, uh, sorry, a letter that, uh, letters of, of approbation, letters of Mikhtavei Bracha for the Sefer. But the Mikhtavei Bracha appear in the first volume, which is um, much less learned than the second volume. First volume is uh, mostly Aninus, a little bit about uh, right before Aninus. So there, Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Fisher has a as a a mechdeh bracha. That he, Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Fisher was one of the most beloved dayanim in Yerushalayim. He wrote the Evan Yisrael a series of tshuvas. He also wrote a sefer in the Rambam. He but he was uh, one of a much much loved. Uh, Robin Yerushalayim, his home was right in the in the center of Gula, but he had uh, he was on the Bedats the Eder Charedes uh, clock. The Eder Charedes has several Botehira, and uh, one particular Beitzira is right behind the Binyanei Zupnik. That's uh, when you go on Strauss to Kikar Shabbat. So before you get to Kikar Shabbat, you have the the main um, administrative buildings in Haredes, the, the basin is there. And then, about uh, a few blocks, or even less, is one of the major Botiheira of the Haredes, with different Dayanim, had uh, two hour slot, an hour, two hour slot per day that they would keep to. There's other Botiheira in different parts of Yerushalayim as well. So, for, for a good chunk of his life, um, Yaakov Yisrael Fisher had uh, the slot around 2 o'clock I think it was 12 to 2 or 1 to 3 I think so uh, then when he got older so he took the uh, this, he, he didn't go to the base Heira but he opened the back door of his house and that's how he uh, passed in the Shiles 
So he was a, a very much, very much loved you. She was a, had a Yushalmi Messiah. I remember that uh, the person I, I learned under Shalom Eisen is at Sal. So he had the slot of 10 to 12. Yeah, so Yaakov had began at 1 o'clock. So he would tell me that he was particularly strict on certain colors in the first day. So he would say, people know to come to me after the first day of Shemunikim. And then the first day, he said they would line up by Yaakovil Fisher. That was for how to, how to play the system. So, um, but it's, uh, again, he was, because he passed in Yushalmi style, he became very important in Roman Yushalmi. So he wrote a Mikhtav Bracha for the first volume of the Bnei Baruch. At the end of the Mikhtav Bracha, there he writes that he believes that nowadays, because of that the Yordachul that women are weaker nowadays, and a woman who's a Muberes, he says it happens that, I think, Aserot, scores of women who are they lose the pregnancy of the course of, uh, of Yom Kippur. And therefore he thinks that uh, Muberes, I believe he uses the language, is obligated to uh, not to fast in Yom Kippur. So this was what they call a, a rupture in the... Uh, in the halachic world, Yaakov Shul Fisher was an Odom Gadol Admoid, one of the Amudei Hera, and uh, for him to say that Shulchan Aruch says that he says now it's different. That was a, a change in the Mahalach of Psak. But I say I don't believe that it's become widely accepted. I'm sure that there are mishpachas in Yerushalayim that follow his Hayrab, but I don't believe it is widely accepted. And the uh, strongest tshuva that appeared um, to take on this position, it was, again, it was a very surprising uh, presentation of the position. It's in a place you wouldn't expect. How many people read the Mechtavei Bracha of... Uh, and it was safer on Aninas uh, and uh, Goises. And if they read the Mithi Braham, read it all the way to the very end, you really uh, you see the first and the second, the second the first few lines. But uh, so, so it was a very interesting way of communicating this psak that was happened to be honest. I don't know why he did it this way. I don't know. But uh, I guess uh, Kulis had their own um, trajectory of getting, uh, getting the, the word out. So when the Tzitz Eliezer, became aware of this tshuva, so he, he criticized it for on numerous levels. First of all, he said that he doesn't think that Yaakov Yisrael Fisher has, has enough data to make such a psaac. He says people have been pregnant and nursing, pregnancy t- pregnant for uh, thousands of years. So if they're... If, and, and he writes scores of women, scores of women would lose their children every year you would know about it. There would be some articles about it. Some, the Chavikadisha would know about it. There's people who would know. So he says he, he must mean, he can't mean that scores of women every year. He must mean over the long sock life of Yaakov Fisher, the many, many years he was basking, maybe at least, at least for 40, 50 years. So then he came across Asarot Nashim. Okay, he says that is not 
a significant number when you think of all the women who every single year ask him Shilas about Yom Kippur. So if uh, so, that would not be a significant enough number to say that every woman is now b'chashash of losing their um, losing their pregnancy. So that's number one. He, he thought the data was incorrect, and then he said that even if he was correct and and uh, that he was onto something, so to speak, that would require greater research, greater understanding. He said, Saif kol Saif, if you, in order to be able to establish a din that's based on the Shtanu Atvaim, so you have to bring uh, the Mayasas together. you got to bring the uh, Gedoli Israel together. That's the Akinas. You can't just say the Shtanu Atvaim without uh, having a gathering of Rabbanim. So you have to bring the Rabbanim together and have a, and discuss it. You go back and bring the press and present this, the science and the articles before He says, that never happened. Furthermore, we could uh, add on to what Rav Aldenberg is saying in terms of gathering the data that if if Fisher's experience was that all women who were fasting, all women who were pregnant had to fast and there was no vetting of the specific situation of the pregnant woman and everyone was taken equally. And it was the woman that the doctors were saying, this woman has to, has to break her fast. And he, she's in the same pool as the as the women where the doctors are happy to sign off on them fasting. So he says, then you don't have uh, significant data because would these women have asked Shilas that it's very very possible that the women who lost children were the women who Rav would have told them to eat and Yom Kippur. So Rav the holds that the the data is incorrect. I'm, I'm, the collection of the data is heavily flawed um, and therefore the, to, to accept as a, as a flat din that every pregnant woman should, should or has to break her fast that is not accepted by the post what is the common practice uh, it, it probably is true that he's a significant enough shita even in this regard, where one is uh, can be same of a shas atchak, there's always a question: When how's the sheet of yachid? The sheet of yachid, we discussed last week. Does the sheet of the chacham tzvi get uh, brought back? They get dusted off and brought back into the conversation in a on a, in a regular year. So we said last last, last week that, the, that there was a discussion amongst the poskim that Roshulman Zalman thought that the sheet of the Chachazi could become a tzuruf, and Rav Yashav said not even to become a tzuruf. So similarly over here, the, um, the, there is still a question whether Rav Fisher's sheet is of enough weight, significant enough that you would be mitzaref it, if one had a shayla about whether a woman could fast in Kippur or not. How do we deal with these questions? So a woman calls up and she says she's pregnant and she's nervous about uh, the fast. So we always want to include what, uh, what does the doctor say? What's the doctor's opinion? And there are different ways in which doctors ex- express themselves. Some doctors uh, say no reason why women couldn't fast. And some doctors say... I, I, uh, they want to make sure they don't get involved in a suit later on 
and they say, they'll say that uh, they're uncomfortable they don't think it's a good idea but um, but otherwise if a person does they do eat then they think everything more or less will be okay so then that's a situation where one has to ask the doctor what's, what's his nervousness based on so if the nervousness is based on why bother the woman's pregnant and uh, and why bother having her fast all day so then that's obviously something we cannot uh, work with if on the other hand the doctor's response is that this particular pregnancy has a very particular presentation and there is uh, there are studies that this particular presentation if the woman gets dehydrated so then the, the fetus could be in trouble that's, that obviously we respect that very very much and then in between these two ends of the range every case has to be evaluated on its own whether the um, whether the, the, this particular case would be one where we would encourage a woman very strongly to um, uh, to fasten your kippur. So, what are the? How do we evaluate the merits of the case itself? So, the uh, again, the doctor gets to weigh it, gets to weigh in, and the doctor gets to explain to us whether there's anything specific about this pregnancy that makes it more precarious than other pregnancies. Uh, but barring that, um, barring that uh, information, that willingness to insert oneself, so the rabbi has to collect information in order to be able to make this decision of how he's going to pass for this particular situation. So he asks the woman about the first of all. He wants to know whether, again, if the doctor said nothing, he wants to know if the woman has had any uh, contractions. Any, uh, and that has to, be, has to be looked at in and of itself if a woman says no contractions we'll go to the next if says yes contractions so were they at the early stage of, and have they been resolved are they in a recent stage are they the non-painful contractions or are they the very painful contractions the non-painful usually mean that uh, that uh, one has some time to get to the hospital, it's significant or there may not be if uh, maybe bringing about the, the birth right now, but painful contractions, then one has to step to it and get to the hospital, whatever the doctor instructed. So, and there are times when non-painful contractions can morph into painful contractions. So, this, like everything else we're discussing right now, it has to be discussed with a, a medical team that uh, the Rav will put together um, and has to evaluate. If a person is having contractions, it's a very serious concern. If she's having contractions a few days before the Kippur, then I can't see um, um, that one would let her fast on Yom Kippur. She's having, if they are, the non-painful contractions then one has to ask a, 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 a doctor about that so that would be one thing would, then one would ask is there any bleeding bleeding can be a sign <coughs> excuse me of also discharging the the fetus um, God forbid of a, an abortion God forbid and of a miscarriage so 
if a woman reports some kind of bleeding, or even if she reports bleeding at an earlier stage, has to be taken very seriously. Now, this is again a, all these situations are are situations where you always have to stay current. Uh, some probably twenty five, thirty years ago, so. Rabbanims began to, to see that there was some the pattern of a pregnant woman staining at the end of the um, towards the end of the first trimester. So that staining could be the very very terrible simon that the pregnancy is in trouble, or that could be a very very um, innocuous and insignificant finding um, because. There, it is not uncommon that uh, women will stain in the last part of the first trimester, and sometimes it goes on for much longer than that, and it's a result of some kind of blood clot that forms at the bottom of the uterus. There, I don't think anybody knows exactly what, you know, what's the, uh, um, what's the, what is that, what it is, how it happened. said um, we have to treat it as damnida, uh, um, but um, that kind of staining, if it's if it's quite some time behind us, so that may not be may not be indication of a chola sheish or the possible loss of the of the uh, of the pregnancy. But that's terachin because that is something that, that's still being sort of figured out at um, a So. Staining again when a woman calls up and she's pregnant and she says, "We have to fast from kipper." So the um, so the the questions that we ask would be again: Is there any um, is there any contractions, any staining? Uh, we would we would ask about previous history. In other words, does she have a history of, of losing a pregnancy? So then that becomes very significant. Folks can write, if a woman, God forbid, lost two pregnancies, then she would not be obligated to fast. Uh, does she have a history of preterm labor? Because if we are in um, the eighth month, end of the eighth, beginning of the ninth, and uh, she's... Um, and she has had preterm labor in previous pregnancies, so then that becomes, again, if, she, if she's lost two pregnancies, so then the post can write, once a person lost a pregnancy, then we shouldn't ask her to fast again when she's pregnant. If she didn't lose a pregnancy, if she had uh, preterm labor, again, something to ask uh, doctors whether, th- whether that indication of having preterm labor in a particular situation, does that... Um, Is that a reason to be concerned um, that by fasting she could end up having preterm labor again, and with the result that isn't uh, so positive? So that would then the next thing we would ask the woman is whether she has any uh, indications of dehydrating. In other words, has she was she faint? Was she dizzy? Did she almost fall someplace? So then that becomes, and if she says, yeah, I, uh, I was in a very crowded room, I was in a subway, I didn't feel well. So then that becomes also a serious concern. Um, and there we try to figure out if the 
episode where she felt faint and dizzy, if that was a, a time when she wasn't particularly um, um, active, so that becomes a very significant question. On the other hand, if it was at a time when she was supremely active, she was running, she was jogging, so, so hopefully that, that has no indication of how it's going to affect her on Yom Kippur. But on the other hand, if a woman uh, does report that she has a kind of um, a kind that uh, that she ha- that she has had some of these signs of dehydration, then they have to be watched very carefully. She has to watch herself because dehydration is one of those things that that um, picks up a life of its own, so to speak. That uh, a person in our minds. So a person could be dehydrated 10%, 30%, and 40%, and uh, as long as he's not running empty, so they'll be okay. But that's not, that's not the way that uh, dehydration works. Dehydration is something that can have a precipitous that word? Uh, drop. You have a sudden drop. And the person could be dehydrated, and they're okay, and they have a very, very significant drop and not be okay. So, if a woman has had experience that even on a day when she's eating or drinking, she was dizzy, she was faint, so then um, so I would be very concerned with this woman, woman fasting. Now, we may have her lie down for much of the day, and then we'll, we'll discuss and be able to have her fast, but um, this one requires some extra people. So we've checked if a woman has had no staining and no previous preterm labor, and she hasn't had um, um, contractions, um, and she hasn't had this signs of dehydration. So then, and she is, and her previous history does not indicate anything. So then we would, uh, we would strongly, strongly uh, ask her to fast. Um, again, if the doctor weighs in with a um, a reason otherwise, then we have to take it very, very seriously. But whenever the doctor weighs in and and wants one of his patients to fast, then the question always becomes that is this something that um, that is unique to this particular woman, right? Or, or, or what's the study which shows that this woman is at any greater risk than a regular woman? So that's, we have to push the doctors to give us real information, real studies, and discuss with other doctors, with other scientists. I think just last year, another study, two years ago, a study came out that was concerning. But again, we were rabbis. It's hard for us to evaluate whether the study is accurate or not. We need to have um, professionals that are um, able to evaluate any new study which comes out. So then we have a pregnant woman who is Baruch Hashem in great health. So if it would be Shavasavatamas or Servateves or um, 
So then we would uh, we would ask him not to fast. Since doctors are so nervous with fasting these days, so if it's one of the taniyos where it's only not only where it's a minute to fast, but I didn't fast, so I would think that, with the exception of Tishu of Yom Kippur, women, uh, um, women sh- a pregnant woman should not fast. And I was this past year when Tishu was in Nidcha, so they even felt even more strongly. I always have to find uh, a mahalach and Allah. You can't just simply say, we decided that this sift doesn't apply anymore. But most of the time, not all the time, most of the time one can find a situation which distinguishes itself enough that at least for a kindest dirabonon, um, there wouldn't be a chiv to fast. But let's say this woman doesn't have Baruch Hashem she's a great pregnancy and she's no history of faintness or dizziness or, so then we have to give her the simon of, of dehydration because a pregnant woman and a nursing mother have a greater risk for dehydration that is uh, because of the extra um, expenditure that they have and whereas the rules of dehydration everybody should know but it's particularly important that a pregnant mother knows. So, so then we would still instruct the woman that if over the course of Yom Kippur she experiences any one of, uh, of several symptoms. For example, she, she experiences um, obviously the ones he mentioned like being dizzy and faint and that means that the dizziness or faintness don't go away when she sits down. If a person stands up suddenly gets dizzy or faint that is highly questionable if that is anything but a very, very quick change, a rush in one's body. So then we say sit down, and then if um, that, uh, that if the dizziness or faintness persists, even after she lies down, then it becomes very, very serious for us. Um, so dizziness, faintness, those are signs of dehyd- dehydrating, a certain uh, clamminess, stiffness of the uh, of the limbs, various aches and various uh, spots. Um, those are all urine that becomes very amber, heart palpitations. Those are all simonim of uh, dehydration. And when that happens, the person has to drink to get rid of the uh, to get rid of the the symptom. And then one continues with the fast. So the um, so that's what we want, we want to explain to the woman these these various signs. And then we divide up the signs of dehydration always with the consultation of the doctor. Which signs do we think that drinking with a shear would be satisfactory? And which signs does she have to break her fast uh, categorically? So, for example, if a woman experiences um, some kind of staining or contractions, then she should break her fast right away. If a woman experienced, I didn't mention this, um, if a woman experiences uh, heart palpitations, then she has to break her fast uh, right away without sure. If a person, if a person, um, 
if a person if a, is um, uh, is waving sees that their urine has become amber or they have a certain stiffness and they probably know themselves whether the symptom will resolve itself or not so in those situations then a person may try the uh, to the sure that's possible now when it comes to the so that that's again the the dealing with the the woman who's pregnant extreme importance to do to take a very important uh, intake so to speak find out what's going on ask various questions and that's what I was saying before that it's very possible that of the numbers that Refisher reported of women who didn't um, who who lost their children over the course of Yom Kippur it could be that they were not vetted it could be that if they would have asked the Shiloh the Roman said you shouldn't be fasting right? like the woman who gets faint or dizzy the woman who is um, a woman another issue that I didn't mention before a woman <laughs> doesn't have the um, the fetal movement the woman feels that the fetal movement has slowed down it's a very very hard to, to figure out fetal movement the more you think about it the more you're nervous about it but if a woman says I think that the fetal movement has changed so then we have to respect it and uh, she has to break her fast as a result we have to always err on the side of the viability of the, the pregnancy One of the interesting questions which comes up is the woman at the very, very end of her pregnancy. She's already in the 39th week or the 40th week. So that is where um, that's where Fisher lets up and he says at this point the baby is uh, is um, almost uh, almost uh, at the end of the pregnancy and there wouldn't be any harm in the pregnancy, in, in, the, in the going, in, in her going into labor, um, the, the concern of all of this is that the drying up of the of the um, the area around the placenta, that the drying up could, God forbid, uh, cause an early sort of an expulsion, so to speak. So, if a, so, if a woman is already at the end, she's in, in her has a week to go so in most situations we would say that uh, that that woman should fast and even if she has some kind of uh, contraction or whatever it's probably good so I don't know if I'd go that far um, I, but I would say for care that if we're if we are really afraid that this woman is going to go into labor and have to deliver so then at that point I think it's important for her to, hide, to drink and hydrate herself. So Israel Fisher says for carrot. He says that once a person gets to the ninth month, no. So what? So what do we have to lose if um, if he goes into labor? And I think Nevin Sal says this slightly. You know, says it very significantly differently. Nevin Sal says that if we know that who's going to labor, then she needs her strength. So if it's a regular Tuesday, she'll feel fine. But if, let's say, Yom Kippur, and it's right after Kol Nidre, oh, she'll also be fine. But if Yom Kippur is after Musaf, so then she hasn't eaten in a while. So at that point, it may be very important to break the fast.
in order that the woman be strong to be able to finish up the pregnancy uh, properly. Um, good. So I think that's the that's how to outline the discussion of uh, pregnancies. I think it's an area that has in recent times um, people are taking uh, asking more shyness about it hopefully not taking any liberties and um, I think that if I think that is the the approach that we should take when always has uh, a fisher to be Saimechan but I think it's a um, a difficult a difficult tshuva to be semechan. Probably it's, it's wouldn't be a problem to use it as, as a uh, sniff lokel. But again, the, the meishibim were very strongly against uh, the position that he took. Okay, so that has to do with umbrais. When it comes to meinikais, so meinikais nowadays we're in a situation of luxury because we have, uh, I think, and it's being. And they formulas back on the shelves. So I don't know, but right now, but normally there's always formula, and we have freezers that women often store up their frozen milk. So, um, so when it comes to meinikos, so the same thing. We start right away. Um, so, so we we, uh, we we start assuming that if this particular meinikos. Is not um, if this particular neckers is feeling is feeling good. What are we afraid by a neckers? It's not the same thing as in Mubarak we lose sort of control. A neckers we have to look at two things. You have to look at how she's doing and how the baby's doing. So and and both can be considerations for breaking the fast. So when it comes to the baby, that's what we're saying before. Things have changed a lot. Because we have um, artificial, and we have uh, milk that can be stored up. So even if a woman would feel that her child needs to have um, needs to have uh, the uh, to be the, the sorry, even if the if the child is not getting enough, let's say it that way. Not getting enough from his mother, so there are other options. The mother, as the fast goes on, she'll begin to dry her resources dry up. So, so um, we have to be concerned that if the mother is predisposed to dehydration, and the fetus is at risk of dehydration, so we have to um, figure out a. Um, What's the mahalach going to be? So if the if the um, nowadays the baby can take the formula, can take water frozen, so we should be okay. If it has a baby that will not take anything, any substitute, okay. So then we may have to feed the mother in order for the baby to have enough tea to drink. The baby is not taking any substitute. The baby has, uh, from her very earliest time, only taken the mother's milk. So then she may, uh, the baby may not do well, may not, may, may not, not accept other milk. And then the baby becomes 
at some point in, 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 in uh, very affected by it, so the mother will have to drink in order to provide for the baby. If the baby is doing fine, either because the mother or because of um, um, because of some formula, so then the um, the then. If the, if the mother begins to show signs of dehydration, then there would also be reason to break her fast. But with the same kind of simonim as anybody else, stiffness, clamminess, uh, heart palpitations, uh, the color of the, of the urine, a very, very severe headache, not the kind of headache that uh, one gets just from fasting. But a more severe headache. So those are all simonim of dehydration. And since the mother is more, uh, more prone to that, so we have to see if we can um, that so again we may have she may have to break the fast in order to be able to provide for the child. Okay, let's say some questions. Go ahead. Um, is it Muslim everyone agrees that you would violate uh, your to save an Umbar? Is it halacha Muslim in the Swarm it's not so Muslim, right? So the there is a Shuba by Rizkhan inspected. So why you baby for sure? So, the, uh, so then he points out as a shuba that was published after the Svarim were published. I forget where it was published. But he said it's the Dara Pasha that we would save it over. Our Mahalach is uh, fashioned by Rabbi Moshe because Rabbi Moshe writes that we would that we would be Mahalo Shabbos to save an Uber to save a pregnancy. Rabbi Moshe holds that we mechal Shabbos even if it's before 40 days because the din of saving an Uber is al al That's very important to appreciate that the, we're doing a pikuch nefesh of something that will have chiz, that will have life. So it doesn't matter whether it's before 40 or after 40. Mechal Shabbos. So once we're mechal Shabbos to save an Uber, so then we need to keep her also to save an Uber. It doesn't matter whether the mother, it doesn't matter. So that's the Askamas of Poskim. There are those who have argued that if we pass an Uber Yerachimoy, so then the Uber is not eligible for, uh, for the Heter Pikach Nefesh. But I, I forget which forum point this out explicitly, but there are many forums that point out that when Machalu Shabbos with the Uber, even if we say Uber Yerachimoy, so, because we're mechalal for the life that's lost of lava. That's one of the, uh, the kudas, it's important to appreciate. Rabbi Moshe was very, very uh, strong in his position that we, <coughs> that we don't pass an uber yerech imoy and that um, on Shabbos, we can only, when, when we are mechalal Shabbos for an uber, it means that the uber is already, has the din of achai. And that's a Ramosha is very um, was widely accepted, widely accepted, and very severe on when we're allowed to do Hapala. But more recent Svarm, Rivaldenberg, it was back in the sixties. So point out that the Malcha Poiskim, the first one who pointed out was a Teres Chesed, the Lunar Rog. The Malcha Poiskim is Uber Yerachimai. Rivaldenberg points out Uber Yerachimai. But passing uh, that we would violate Shabbos to save a pregnancy does not rest, is not, um, uh, it 
not um, diminished by saying Umi Yerachim. That's what Ramosha held that if we, if we say that we're Machalu Shabbos to save a pregnancy, that means the pregnancy is already Pikoch Nefesh, it's life. And, that's, and he cuts the chase, if that's the case, goes to Taisvis, based on, and based on, and, and that Taisvis says that, uh, we, that we would treat an, a, a fetus as a life. But the Mahalach of Poiskim, in back to the Rav, is Uber Yerachimai. So Uber Yerachimai means that we treat the question of abortion, of, I don't know if we treat it, but we consider it heavily from the perspective of, of Chabol and of surgery. And then we always take into account Ramesh's position when we make a decision. But the Dinah Pikuach Nefesh Deche Shabbos, the Gabi and Uber, is because this Yerachim is going to become a life. This figure will become a life. So it's not a life right now. It will become a chai. Right? It's the same thing is true for, for Yom Kippur. That's, that is, I believe, widely accepted. Although in the Swarm, there's a very robust machlekes. Uh, the Gavi pills, so Ramosh Paskin, that it's like not achil at all, would that apply to even like non-medical necessary pills? So the question that you're asking comes up very, very frequently now in terms of the... Um, uh, the drugs that are taken for various psychological concerns. A person is, let's say, a person is prone to depression and takes a medication that they that they won't be depressed. So that is, we look at depression as a as a masuka, right? The, the rav saw as a machla per se. That's a sakana, and Ravaldenberg says that, that because a person is depressed can't hurt themselves it's a chalim masuka. but let's say a person has um, increased the very uh, takes medication not to be so anxious so uh, uh, so some psychiatrists say anxiety and depression are, are in, in the same the same nakuda so we can't really distinguish but let's say this psychiatrist says no this is a he's a ruminator he has a form of uh, psychological OCD, but he's not going to hurt himself. He's not going to... He's, he's going to be very aggravated. And of course, they're very aggravated. Or let's say you have a person who has ADD. They can't, and, and for them, if they don't take their medication, then uh, it's a different kind of even kipper. So. so in those situations, I believe that we would say the person is definitely a choyla, they're, uh, and and it, we definitely said that they can take the medication and taking without water um, if Shechta says like swallowing a stone no, so I don't see why not question comes up what happens if a person um, if a person cannot take it without cannot take this pill without water so Laniyaz Daiti, in those situations, it is, we would be Saimech Lahakel, to take the, to make the water taste not so good. So it's an Isid Rabbanon, to have Shalaika Darke, and to have a little bit of water, Shalaika Darke, take the pill, also Shalaika Darke with that water. What's the Hezber? Hezber, the person is a Chaylashain Basakana, and we make it under abundance for Chaylashain Basakana. And we're going to be step further that for a, for a younger person 
who is um, who if they don't take their medication then they're sort of out in the hallway the whole Yom Kippur so that can be very devastating for uh, for a kid right um, a kid uh, adolescent they it can be very devastating for their public persona of Yom Kippur they're hanging out in the, in the hall the whole day and that can become a source of uh, of, of extreme disappointment in themselves so and that can be very devastating you know they have a kid who does very very well because they're on their medication All right, and then this kid is uh, and he's 16 years old and he's hanging out with the, the playing groups on the Yom Kippur are we just uh, sitting staring in space in the, in the hallway or something or he's going in out, and after, after the day he feels oh my god the whole community thinks that he's a He's a zero. He's a nothing, right? Because he's a kipper. He was out in the hallway all day. So that can be very devastating. So I think that's very important to take into account. And to, I would say we make up with having uh, liquids that are not that they don't taste vile, but that are not normal to drink. What would be the follow up with vitamins and health supplements that also that are pills that swallowed? But so, uh, personally. Uh, but old-fashioned that way. So personally, uh, you know, why you know why take them? It's, it probably is much there. There's nothing, but it's not going to affect their conduct and the kip itself. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure everybody agrees with the relationship. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Even if we'll be dealt or we throw Yaakov Fisher uh, by saying if the woman who who he who he knew about. Um, had they asked the Shaila, they would have been told you should eat. Given that there are women who, because of the of eating, don't eat, even though even when they should, yeah. is that not grounds to say that all women should eat so that women who should eat don't end up not eating? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think, I mean, you, certainly, you would certainly need a, a group of uh, Claudius Rolls uh, to make such a decision. But asking, you're asking me that I should, uh, I have a healthy pregnancy, I feel, I'm feeling great, my Uber is not at risk at all, so I should break my fast because there's another Jew who's pregnant and, and not going to ask a Shiloh, or is not going to listen to the Rome and the Rome tells, I, I don't think that I'm allowed to break my fast for that reason. Yeah. What would be a situation where you would rely on your fisher? Like, if there was a sakona, then you, they would be allowed to. If there wasn't a sakona, then the fisher's sakona would apply, right? Well, no, if, if, it's an evaluation of the mitzvahs. The fisher's evaluation of the mitzvahs is that every pregnant woman is all to have a hapola if they fast that day. So, so when would I allow it? Uh, so I, I would be very hesitant ever, but I'll tell you when when it might be something to consider. You have a woman who is pregnant, and there can be a few scenarios. One scenario, she really has an anxiety issue. She's a very healthy pregnant mother, and she calls up, and the rabbi says, Skvaldik, ask all your questions. She's bang, 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 never no bleeding, no, no, uh, no uh, contractions. I mentioned contractions before, right? The contractions would be, no contractions, she uh, runs around, no dehydration, fetal movement's great. 
But the doctor told her that she has to break her fast. So she is scared stiff. Right? She's going to lose her pregnancy. And they gave her more dramatic. She's an IVF baby. She's been trying for three years to have a child. Four years, ten years to have a child. Right? They had five different IVF uh, trials. Didn't work. That's a very, very precious pregnancy. The, the woman's sittering and the rabbi's sittering. Right, it's a very, it's a very nerve-wracking thing to pass in these shilas. Not easy. Aliyim Kippur, you're you're doubting that every hayrosh should be hayrosh the time. So, um, so that situation, tzaruchi and gadol, but there's something to consider. Again, I'm not in my place. There's something to consider to say. Look, I see this woman is ois mensh. She is mamish pepachet gomer. Look, the, she wants to be Samech on one of the daily Yerushalayim. Something to consider. Give the information to the woman. Say, look, I, I don't think, I don't see it. The doctor is not supporting. The doctor says you'll be fine. The actual official was uh, a giant. And that's not stopping. He was a giant. So if you want to be Samech on a giant, that would be one situation. What do you, early, what do you, what do you think? For that? Can I make a different question? Yeah, it, or, the, or a situation would be where the doctor is hacking. The doctor is saying, Why is this woman fasting? He went to Yeshiva. He knows that they're, they're Shurim, right? He left Shurim a little early. But, he, but he's, uh, he's, he's, he's a good doctor, he's a wonderful doctor. And he is extremely nervous. He's, or he's telling the woman. So it's very hard for a rabbit to go up against a doctor. Now, who am I to tell? I can push the doctor. Are there studies? What do you think? That the, uh, what's, the, what, what's the science behind it? But at the end of the day, and, and very often the conversation goes, uh, I'm very tart, I, mean, I didn't say it probably before. Very often the conversation goes that they tell the doctor, I'm going to tell this woman to stay home the entire day, air conditioning. I'm gonna, the shul's going to pay for help. We're gonna. The moment they have the slightest simon, they're gonna drink. So the doctor turns around. And says, You're gonna tell the woman that she gets uh, a very bad headache. And the woman that if she gets dizzy or faint, she can break her fast. Mask him, right? So very often, the, you have a conversation with the doctor. He'll say, if, if you're gonna allow, if she, if you're gonna tell her not to go to cold, not to go to mask him. I'm talking about a woman going to a stuffy show with the air conditioning off and on. So very often, that let's say. It's tell the doctor, explain everything to the doctor. And the doctor says, I'll be I can't afford uh, my numbers, won't be good, whatever. <laughs> so then you may want to tell the woman, I have, I have a lot of tra- I, I don't think it's mutter. I don't go up against doctors, Allah Chalavaisen. Then you can tell the woman, there's a, a, a giant who said that you can eat. It's a possibility. Or another situation. It's three seconds before cold nidri. Had you seen enough seconds? And the woman calls up and says, My doctor says I have to eat a Yom Kippur. And you ask all your questions. You'll get it. No, there is no time to go to her doctor. You can go to all your doctors in shul. But you don't have enough information to pass in that way. So then, you know, then the psak is, I don't have your doctor here. He said this. I had nothing to do with it. So there, there you're really paskening because you have this huge suffix 
and you have, and then you can sleep at night a little bit because you have a fish in your stomach. Just relate to the chazanish regarding uh, regarding a So there is a, an alleged chazanish, um, and, and it was in the Dafim recently, no, in Ksuvis, about the chazanish says that the Gemara says that shine me'ayim for a child is a cholim esukim. So you have a child, and the mother says, this child is, has never been anything but me. Right? Never been in formula, never been on frozen milk, I don't know. Never been in a formula. So, but the child's a healthy child. And the mother begins to lose her milk. So the pastor says, hey, try a formula. You try it. It doesn't go. Yeah, try frozen milk. It doesn't go. Then take the bottle. You push a little bit before you before the mother breaks it before the mother eats. You have to know a child as a baby, so we have a lower bar for chaylim masukin. So there is a uh, there is a shmua from the chazanish that he would say no 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 you're 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 going down the wrong road. This baby never had anything but the mother. You're going to give the baby formula chaylim can't do it. So that's a very surprising chazanish because shinim ayim is when there is some other kind of chayli happening, and it's highly questionable whether whether chazanish really said it or not. Um, Zilberstein is a neighbor. He has a big suffix. Mr. Sturbach. Very, very. They very significantly question whether the chazanish is recorded properly. So well, and it's very hard to be soimech on a shmuah that, uh, that we don't understand and that has been questioned by the Gdailim whether the Chazanish really said it. And these are people from the, the court of the Chazanish. Right? So, um, but on the other hand, you will find it in print every so often. I even think that the, I think Rabbi Neubert even quotes it someplace, um, but also a, a note so the Shemuah's around, again, whether the Shemuah's uh, accurate or not is highly questionable, whether the, the stakes are not so high, because the only question is, you push the baby a little bit. Right? And, and you have to add, Benosafla says that if the mother says, I I never intend to give the child formula, the mother may say, it's been, uh, I've only had the baby for three months, but when I go back to work, six weeks from now, I'm going to give him formula. So then it's a little bit hard to, to say, let's do, this, let's do this experiment six weeks early instead of waiting until you have to go back to work. Uh, but again, all we're doing is doing, doing the experiment. And at the end of the day, if the baby doesn't take, then the mother breaks the fast. So that's the... Uh, um, first of all, is it a double question that for fainting, um, meaning uh, it's considered the whole shishu sakana, meaning... It's a double pleasure to the guy who fainted. <laughs> the uh, the uh, fainting is a, yeah, fainting is a it's a sakonis of Before he fainted or after he fainted? If you're in to prevent fainting, it's a sakonis of fascists. Yeah. The guy fainted and he wakes up he's on the floor. People run over to him with a cup of oranges and he'll kill for it. Yeah. Now he says, "Give him the oranges." So let's see what. That's what the doctor says over there. Uh, 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 let's just come, let's take this step by step. In terms of a person is oimid lipo, so 
So that is that's the Sakhan itself. Now you'll say a person we're afraid that this person will fall, so therefore they should stay in bed all day? Yeah. They can stay in bed all day and and only get up to the bath and everything and everything they get up it's with AIDS. Okay? So then uh, why should they break their fast? On the other hand, fainting is usually a sign is an early sign of dehydration. So if a doctor will tell you this fainting won't happen if they lie down all day. And and this fainting is not a symptom. Somebody else other physiologically then then we find it otherwise. But some fainting is a, is a simon of dehydration and is a siva of a chayla because if a person falls, God forbid, they hit their head, that's a kind of So that's a, we are, it's a terrible thing we've seen. We, we know that, that uh, people have, have, uh, have died, have become very, very gravely ill because they they hit their head. So that's the uh, now there is a kind of faint there is a kind of faintness which is not so kind. And that is if a person gets up too fast. If a person is lies lying down that's called the that's a, that's because of the change of body fluids and the it's called a, it's a certain reaction, a vasal vasal reaction. So that I'm told is not a sakana bakhlaw. But that you test very, very easily. That if that you sit down, person feels faint, they feel woozy. They sit down, goes away. So then that fainting wasn't a, a sakana. So they go slow. It, it, a person who has that reaction, if they fall, the same sakana, right? But if a person sitting down, all they stand up, and they feel faint, and they catch themselves, and they sit down again, so then they are. And then the faintness goes away. Then they were not prasakana. They, but if when they said that doesn't go away, then that's a similar dehydration. Now the guy early in this case of the guy who fainted and he comes to already. So I don't know enough to say. You know, people are saying that there used to be a time when in the shul you gave a clap and there were lots of doctors around, and now a uh, number of the doctors are going down. It's not such a high. Uh, major in the college anymore. They're saying it's not going to be the same thing in the in, in years to come. So let's say you have a, a shul and there's no doctor on premises and there's no EMT or EMS in preg- uh, on, on, on premises. So then you have to be afraid that it's a, that there's a, that's a heart issue. And you have to bring the person to. Yeah. You have to be afraid that it's dehydration and you have to give them something. So, uh, so even though the person came to if they were in such bad shape that they fell, then you have to be, unless the doctor is willing to sign off and say something else. Okay, thank you, Rabbi We're going to dive in the right here. And okay, good. Okay, thank you very much.